the first time I posted a video on Facebook, the only person that had liked it was my mom. <laughs> How's it going? Hello again, Andrew. It is going very well. I've been super busy recently and am leaving tomorrow for Laracon EU. I'm traveling to Lisbon. So all good things, just a lot going on right now. I wanted to talk to you about that. I'm excited for your trip to Europe. I hope it goes great. We've got a trip coming up next week as well. We're heading to Japan for two weeks for a vacation. Looking forward to it. Haven't been there for a few years. But I know you're very busy right now in the lead up to this conference. I know you put a lot of effort into your talks. We've talked about that before, but you're also working on a video course that I want to talk about. Do you want to give us the brief rundown on that? Yeah. So I have been working on a course called MySQL for Developers. So I'm doing this for my day job at PlanetScale. And so this is going to be a totally free course that basically covers how to use MySQL as an expert, but not how to like host it and run it and replicate it and do some more of like the DBA level stuff. And so it's for people like you and I who are not DBAs, but we are like full stack developers and we need to know how to use a database and how indexes work and how to do efficient queries, that sort of thing. It's a whole lot of work. I've been working on it for so long and my videos need to be done by February 20th. And so I'm running out of time. I'm really excited about this course. I love the concept because I love people learning how to program. And I think for most people learning to program, the right tool set to learn is a framework like Laravel, like Rails. The benefit is that you ship real stuff much sooner because of everything that the framework provides for you. And one of those things is an ORM that these days with Eloquent and with Active Record, you can do the basic database persistence stuff without too much insider knowledge of how a relational database works. But it only gets you so far. And so I think it's good because people can ship real things real quick. But at a certain point, you got to take time and learn how a database really works. Because Most of the time, I think most of the performance issues that this is probably true for you, it's definitely been true for me. Most of my performance issues have come from the database. That's the bottleneck. And I've heard people that work at PlanetScale like Mike Kudermarsh say the same thing. That was what they were fighting with at GitHub most of the time. So I think it's really exciting that it's like a one-two punch. It feels like, yes, let's get people educated on how to build web applications with these great frameworks that we've got. But then when the time comes, go do a deep dive with Aaron's course. Like some of these videos I've seen that you've put out, it's like, this is perfect. These little bite-sized pieces of information that I think is going to fill the gaps of knowledge for a lot of people who are learning to program. And I'm learning stuff too. And I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, that is my hope. I feel like there's a huge missing section of content when it comes to databases. I feel like most of the people teaching about databases and how to use them 
are just at a different level. They're at the DBA level. And so they are not hitting things that I think application developers really need to care about and should care about. And I feel like there's almost like an elite thing where DBAs kind of historically have looked down on application developers and been like, well, app developers are using an ORM. How embarrassing. And I'm like, I love ORMs. I'm not going to tell you not to use the ORM. Use the ORM. And so I do feel like there's a gap in the middle, kind of the meaty middle of developers who don't want to host their own MySQL, but would like to know how an index works and when they should use it. And so that's the content I'm trying to hit. It's really good. So the idea I had for what we could talk about today isn't the course itself. It's video as a medium for educating developers, because I think I forget, I think I saw a poll somewhere. How do people prefer to learn? And sure, there was a large contingent that responded on that poll and said, yeah, I like reading the documentation. I have a friend, Ken Collins, that was one of my Ruby dads. And he is just an epic reader of documentation. So if he was starting on a project, he would go out and read everything about the thing before he got started. But the other large response in that poll was almost equal, if I remember correctly, was people saying they enjoy learning about development from videos. And so I think this is a valuable topic for all of us who feel like we have something to share. We're used to writing documentation, but certainly I've heard from people over the years who have watched videos that I've recorded, really rough ones. And it's just clear that this is a really great way of doing knowledge transfer. And it's in some ways, I think, much more personal than traditional documentation writing, maybe on the same level as like blog posts, but even more so in a way because you're so present as the presenter in the videos. So it just felt like there was a lot to unpack there, both technically on what's going well and also talking on the meta level about it a little bit. But I got to ask, how tired are you right now? I am pretty tired. I spend a lot of my day recording. If I'm not studying and preparing to record, I'm recording. And I don't know if I'm doing it right. I don't know if there's a right way to record video. But the way that I do it is I don't write a script because one, I think that would just take me so long to write word by word. And then I don't have a teleprompter. I don't want to just read it. It would feel so stilted to me. And so what I do is I do all my study. I make notes. I make like a kind of like an outline. And then I just start recording. And what that means is I end up doing a bunch of takes as I figure out the best path through the content, like the right things to say. I end up just doing a ton of takes. And so it it takes me a really long time and it's really tiring. I, at this point, am getting through about two to four videos a day. And once they're all edited down, I would say each video is between four and six to seven minutes. And so I'm spending an entire day producing 15 minutes of content. It's like, good grief. So it's very tiring. Yeah, I get that. That it sounds exhausting. But also, I think if you're getting 15 minutes of content out of a day of recording, I feel like that's pretty good. I feel like you're kind of dialed in compared to what my experience has been when I've been doing demo videos and recordings and things like that. 
I try to keep those real short because they're usually getting posted on Twitter or whatever. So you're looking at two minutes of content, maybe five minutes tops. And I feel like sometimes those take me a whole day. So in some ways, you've got a system. I would say for a final product of five to six minutes, it probably takes me two to three hours of just recording, which doesn't include the prep and the editing. So it takes me a long time. I have gotten much faster as I've worked through. I've probably got 25 long form videos behind me and probably 10 to 12 short form videos behind me. And as I've done it, I've gotten much faster. But yeah, sometimes I'll do a whole video and then I'll come back the next morning and watch it and just realize, nope, could do that better. Like I just scrapped the entire thing. I want to unpack that a little bit because I feel like I'm a bit of a perfectionist on a lot of these things, on these content pieces. And I think that actually makes it take a lot more time to produce something. And the really dark side of being a perfectionist is when stuff never sees the light of day at all, where you just run out of time. And because you were being so meticulous slash neurotic about certain things, it actually just doesn't get done in the time you have. And then you don't get back to it. And then nobody benefited. You wasted a bunch of time and nobody got to see the end product. And I thought it was interesting because that's an example, right, where I think a positive example where you're like, no, I just looked at it. I can do that better and I want to do it better. So I'm just going to trash it, do it all over again. On the other hand, like I watched a video that you posted today that had the little animation of how an index works on a database. Did you find a tool for that? I did. Yeah. It was like some research tool from some university published literally 20 years ago and the animation still works. I thought it was amazing. Yes. And yet I noticed in the video, the way that you put it in the video, it looked really pixelated and whatever. And you know what? It was a lesson to me in it because I'm like, this is awesome. This is a very educational video, but it's not pixel perfect, but it is doing its job very well. Despite that, what's the thought process there when you're trying to decide between do it again or take longer to do it a little bit better versus ship it. So I think there's a good distinction to be made, first of all, between short form and the course, because with short form, I feel like it's much more ephemeral and the stakes are much lower with short form. So you can put something out there. It's under a minute long and you can't really explain every nook and cranny of a concept in short form. With the course, however, I feel like the bar's a lot higher for me And I think where I draw the line, so the things that I have come back and scrapped is not because I made a little typo or I said a word and then like audibly corrected myself. I haven't scrapped a video for that. I have scrapped videos because I've come back and watched it and thought the way that I explained that is not clear enough. So it has nothing to do with perfection in terms of fat fingering while I'm typing some SQL that I don't care about that so much. I do super care when I come back and I watch it and I'm like, man, that didn't make enough sense. You can explain it more clearly. And that's when I'll scrap a whole video and start over. Yeah, that's great. I do think as well, that's a side effect of what you were talking about before, which I really agreed with, which is when you come in without a script and you kind of are just working through it, doing a bunch of takes, 
do you end up in that sort of situation where you get a certain portion of it? Like you start recording and then you get a good take and then you're like, sweet, I got a good take. And then you move on from there and you just keep going until the whole thing comes together. Yes. It's weird, but I have like a, almost like a 30 second buffer in my head of the last things that I've said. And so if I make a mistake, I know exactly where to go back to, to start over. Cause I know what the cut point is going to be. And I've also gotten really good at staying physically in the same location because I'm going to be on camera. It's a screencast. Yes, but I'm in the lower right corner. And so to minimize the amount of jumping around that my face and my hands do, I've gotten really good at when I complete a thought, I basically come back to resting position. And so that way, when I start a new thought, I know that I can cut back to that. And I'm basically going to be in resting position, which will be a little jumpy, but no one will really notice. He says to the guy on webcam who talking about myself here, who's rocking back and forth. Yes, I've had to teach myself to stop spinning around like that while I'm talking because that's what comes naturally. But if I spin around like that, the cuts are going to be just egregious. And so, yeah, it's a real thing. (laughs) That's awesome. So what do you use the short form videos for? Is that social media stuff? The short form videos, I use them strictly for social media platforms. So my workflow is such that I can record one short form video always under a minute to meet every platform's requirements. And then I can edit it a couple of different ways. And I can end up with Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts, TikTok, and if I want Facebook, but I don't really put anything out on Facebook. And so I'll take that one video and put it out to all of those different channels in the different formats, each one slightly different, but all stemming from the same source content. What do you have against Facebook? You don't want to teach my mom about database development? I I would love to teach your mom about database development. I don't want all of her friends to be commenting on my post. Honestly, the first time I posted a video on Facebook, for a while, the only person that had liked it was my mom. (laughs) What am I doing here? I haven't been on Facebook in 10 years, and I just, do I want to build a platform there? I don't think so. I don't know. You just have to make sacrifices for your own emotional health. Yeah. It's weird. There are some big MySQL groups on Facebook. That is why I would go to Facebook is for the groups, not for like the main feed. So I've been accepted into a few groups. And so I'll start publishing the content inside those groups and we'll see what happens. But I'm not optimistic about it. That's some of the short form behind the scenes. Let's talk like, what am I actually using to record this stuff? So we'll start with short form because we were talking about that. All the production stuff is the same. There are a few slight differences, but I have an external microphone. Obviously, it's not fancy. It's a USB mic. It's a good one, but it's still a USB mic. I have a fancy camera. I think that is probably the fanciest thing I have, which is a Canon camera. And I run it through a like a, just a capture card. And so the process, especially for short form, is I have some buttons here on my stream deck that'll change the resolution of my screen. And so I make my resolution just ginormous so that everything looks good when it comes out the other end and not like one window or one web page is too small or something. 
So I make the resolution ginormous. I hide the dock and the status bar. All of this is done just with a press of a button. It all like goes into recording mode, which is really important for me. If I'm going to be recording a bunch, I have to make the process as smooth as possible because it's hard to get started and I have to eliminate as many barriers as I can. So one press of a button, the studio lights come on in the shed quarters, the background of my screen changes, the status bar and dock go away, the resolution blows up, and I'm ready to record. What's behind all of that? Like what's running it? Yeah, what's the automation platform that makes it when you hit a button, all this stuff happens? It is AppleScript, if you can believe that. So it's the Stream Deck, which is like a little physical button pad. And then I have little AppleScript scripts that are hooked up to different buttons. And then I have one button that's like a multi-button. And then so it runs like six buttons in a row and everything comes alive. One button to rule them all. That's exactly right. That's great. So have you published those scripts on GitHub? <laughs> no, I haven't. I did share on Twitter that I'm using Apple scripts to do it. And my tweet was, I forgot that Apple script was a thing, but it totally rules. And that seemed yeah. to resonate with people, but it makes everything so consistent. For example, I have a button on here that I can press and it makes the focused window full screen, but it's not totally full screen. It leaves a 20 pixel gutter around yep. the left top and right. And then it leaves like a 60 pixel gutter at the bottom because that's where the course branding is. So my wallpaper has the course branding, which is MySQL for developers and PlanetScale. And so anytime I'm recording, you're always seeing MySQL for developers brought to you by PlanetScale. It's like baked right. into every single video. And that way I don't have to like futz around with it in editing. It's all in the camera. So that really helps me a whole lot. Yeah, it feels like it could become overwhelming I didn't say this at the beginning, but the quality of the videos is very good. The stuff that you've been putting out. Oh, thanks. I think the only thing I've seen is the short form stuff mm -hmm. that's on social media, but very high level of polish. Feels like very high production quality. And I think it would potentially be intimidating looking at that and thinking, oh, that's like really hard to do. That's a lot of effort. And it is. There's a lot of mm -hmm. things that are hard work. It's drawing on many years of experience that you have. You're doing research. You've got all of that. But it also seems like it would almost be too difficult if it weren't for finding a bunch of little shortcuts and hacks and tricks that you can stack up. Yes. To streamline the production process. A hundred percent agree. I think there's an interesting conversation we can have after this one about video as a content creator, less of an education medium, but like video as a content creator. We should have that after this. But to continue, you're absolutely correct, because when it comes time to edit, so I record everything in ScreenFlow, which is just the best tool ever. ScreenFlow captures my audio, my camera, and my desktop. And then when it comes time to edit, I have just a huge collection of presets, basically. So ScreenFlow will let you save a preset. And that can be a transition. That can be a video effect, which for mine, I do rounded corners and drop shadow. And so I have the workflow in ScreenFlow down now, such that my style, 
and they're all the ones I do are the same style. My style comes quickly because I know how to edit it and I know how to use the screen flow presets that I have saved so that I can just like do command K to do a video action, change the video action to spring preset two, and then it just looks like one of my videos. And if I hadn't found that workflow or hadn't put time into that workflow, there's no chance that I would be able to pull this off. I love that it is a one-two punch where you had to have the knowledge. You have to have all this experience that you've built up over many years. And there's a new skill that you added to that, but the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. So you have put two skills together and with your own powers combined, the net result is something really special. And the beautiful thing about video And the age we live in with data transmission being effectively free and the reach of that, so many people can benefit from it. I love it. Yeah, thanks. It's been surprising to me how much fun it is personally, especially the shorts. The shorts are a lot of fun. I'll have an idea and it probably takes me, we'll say five to 10 minutes to record a one minute video. And then it takes me, I think I've gotten it down to one hour to get a final product of six different videos for the different platforms. Cause each one has different overlays you have to avoid and caption requirements, that sort of thing. So in an hour and 15 minutes, I can have a new piece of content ready to go. That has been a delight for me. I think the thing that has surprised me more is how much people like it on Twitter primarily. It's database content. I kind of refuse to play into like the YouTube TikTok game where I'm just going over the top with everything. My fundamental value when creating these things is I want them to be valuable. I don't want them to be gimmicky. I don't want them to be clickbaity. I don't want to do the surprised face like, oh my gosh, I can't believe my sequel does this. I'm not going to do that. And having stayed true to that, I'm super pumped that people are enjoying it. Like it actually resonates with people. And that makes me it makes me really happy. And I was kind of surprised by it. That's awesome. So you talked a bunch about the equipment that you've got and you've posted some photos on Twitter and stuff like that. One thing you didn't mention, you've got an interesting display setup. It's a little bit different. I'll post a link to the picture on Twitter so people can see what I'm talking about. But you've got kind of this multi-display thing that's a little different than normal, right? Can you explain that? What's that thing for? Yeah, so I work on one primary monitor with my laptop closed. Love it, able to focus. That's awesome for me. I do have this goofy thing kind of behind and to the top right of my monitor that's just this super cheap USB-C monitor from Dell. I think it was like maybe $100 or more. How big is it? I want to say... 1080p. So I'm guessing it's maybe 13 inches across. It's really small, right? It's not that big. So what I use this for, and this has proved especially useful in the course when I'm trying to maintain a similar physical location on camera is I put my confidence monitor up there. So it's like a live feed of what my video camera is seeing. So at any point I can look up there and see like, And it also, importantly, has a grid overlay. So it's a live feed of my video camera with six or eight lines 
in a grid so I can position, I can make sure that my eyes are meeting the one third line so that I'm like within the right area of the screen. And this is how I get back to my correct cut slash resting position is I look up there and I'm like, okay, I need to move my head over to this grid and make sure my eyes are on this grid line and now look at the camera and start talking. And so it's really helpful to like be able to see live what the camera is seeing so I don't drift off to the side or lean too far right. back or something like that. So it's really helpful. I started at Planet Scale and they said, we'll buy you a monitor. And it's like, well, I already have a monitor. What if you buy me this goofy little thing? And it's turned out to be the best thing that I have. That's perfect. Just hearing you talk about trying to stay in the same position while you're on camera makes me want to schedule an appointment with my chiropractor. After a take, do you just have to like shake it out or something like that? I do. Yeah. And it's been kind of telling to me that I have pretty bad forward head posture because I'm constantly like trying to pull my head back and sit up straight to meet my eyes on the correct grid line. And when I get to resting, my head drifts forward like a caveman. And so I'm trying to do exercises to stand up straight like a human adult, but it's kind of difficult. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole nother discussion. That's an entirely different episode (laughs) on what our health routines are. (laughs) Okay, so there was the other thing that you wanted to talk about. You were saying something about producing content, not on a technical level, but as a content producer. Tell me about that. So I think there's a great conversation to be had about the merits of video content for educational purposes, which is super important. There's also another conversation about the merits of video content to grow your brand. And if you want to be known in a community, making video content is a great way to do it. Partially because of what you said earlier about it being personal, you can write a really great blog post and people will read it in their own voice. I mean, you have a style of writing that is unique. Everyone does. But when you're on video, it's definitely your voice. People are watching me and I think they feel like they're getting to know my personality a little bit because my personality obviously comes through in the video probably more than in the written form. And so one, I think that is a great way to like forge a connection. But two, the other thing you said is that sounds like when I was describing the process, you said that sounds really hard. Turns out it is really hard. And so not very many people are doing it. And I think there's a huge opportunity if you feel like you can do video or if you are comfortable with being uncomfortable being on video If you can just pull the trigger on doing video, you're going to be competing against basically no one. I mean, me, Wes Boss, there's a TypeScript guy, there's another guy in the Laravel community, Christoph Rempel, who's doing some video now. But like that, there's four people. There's just not that many people doing short form developer content on Twitter where the hot code tips kind of got saturated pretty quickly. Because it's a whole lot easier to do a code tip and put it on a pretty background and share it. The bar just raised so quickly for that, that now what's left is the final frontier is video. And it turns out that's really hard. And it's really scary. It's scary to put yourself and your face out there. And so I think that stops a lot of people. 
I just think there's a lot of opportunity if you can get over like the fear and learn a little bit of tech. We all love tech, so why not? And you can start making videos. I say do it. I mean, there's no competition out there. Yeah, I think the value in investing in that skill set is twofold. So you can help educate people about the technologies that are already out there. But the other thing is, video is an incredibly powerful medium for communicating any type of idea. And so if you're a software developer, you think about the products that we're all building, being able to produce a video that demonstrates the benefit your software library provides or your product provides. It's a very potent medium for that type of thing. And I've run into people that have watched really poorly produced videos that I recorded years ago. I had this video series I did where I used an early version of Bullet Train to build a SaaS application in nine hours and deploy it to Heroku and do all the domain modeling, all this stuff. I'd like to think that would be shorter now, but it really wasn't because it just covered so much. And I remember showing up at MicroConf and having somebody come up to me and they're like, oh yeah, I watched all nine hours of you building. Holy moly. Yeah, they watched the whole thing. And they were like, yeah, every time I was folding laundry or getting the baby to sleep, I would just throw it on and like crush another 30 minutes. And that was my first tip off that video was kind of a big deal. This is an important thing for us. And another thing that I've gotten really great feedback on is feature announcements. So when I'm announcing a feature, something that I've worked on, there's a combination, I think, of showing people the thing in action, but also being able to bring my own personal excitement for the thing that we've built to the video that really helps. And so I agree with you. I think it is something for developers generally across ecosystems, This is something I think will resonate with most audiences and put you above the competition in terms of getting out in front of people and getting them to think about the things that you've created and the value that you're trying to provide. Yeah, for a while you were doing like five to 10 minute videos on Twitter showing off new bullet train stuff and you had a pretty slick setup too i think you were set up in front of a big natural light and you had a solid camera and are you still doing any of that i haven't since rail sass because i needed a bunch of the cables and equipment for rail sass as part of that production and so i tore it all down and then it sat in my garage ever since it was such a pain in the butt aaron to get that whole setup it was so finicky And I think, again, rooted in that perfectionist kind of approach to things. But yeah, definitely want to get back to it. I do think it is the best way for us to communicate the things that we're producing to try to help people. Yeah, sure. It's easy to sit down and work on another feature, but we're not really serving the customer and the community that's using Bullet Train by just shipping features. We have to show them how it works and how it can work for them. It was a slick setup. I had two A10 minis in play. So I was basically mixing and editing the video on the fly while I was doing it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'd have the one camera angle and then I'd also have an extra computer was how I did it. So I'd have an extra computer that was wired into it so that I didn't have to 
mess around getting it set up. I had a computer that was always set up to do a feature demo. Didn't have any of my personal information on it. None of my passwords, addresses, nothing, right? And so I would basically just switch between those two things live. I would do multiple takes and then I would just cut down the video using Dave Setia's recut. Recut. Amazing tool. Right? So yeah, it was a pretty slick pipeline. I got to get it set back up. We got too many new features we got to share with the world. So you tore it down for Rails SaaS, and I think video is a pretty huge part of Rails SaaS, and I've seen some of the final product, and it's literally Hollywood quality. So talk to me about, I guess, kind of the setup there and what you've seen the reception be of the final product. It has to be said, the reason why we did that was the same as everything that we've been talking about. This is such a good medium. This is a way that people enjoy learning. I think one additional benefit, there are three types of presentations that we have at RailSAS. On the schedule, on my own personal calendar, I've got three emojis. I've got a laptop computer, I've got popcorn, and I've got a thought bubble. And so the popcorn presentations are the ones that like are an entrepreneur who has built their business using Rails, talking about that journey. And this is us trying to give people examples of entrepreneurs who have done the thing and the unique benefits that Rails provided for them. And you've got the thought bubble, which is people from our ecosystem who have learned specific lessons that are valuable running a business, starting a business, whatever, who have thoughts that can help change the trajectory of an entrepreneur who's looking to build a business on Rails. And then the laptop is straight up tech, hardcore, very technical, maybe a demo, whatever, but talking about the technology specifically. And so with those three things, I think We'll be able to navigate through what I feel like are the major pieces, the stories that I want to see told, the technologies that I want to see demonstrated so that we can really have, after a few of these events, a one-stop shop. People can come through and find all the pieces that make the case for why Rails is such a great framework for your next business to be started on and to grow with. What I saw on Twitter and heard from friends, it sounded like you had more than one live proper camera and the final product that I've seen so far, the slides are like actually animated. So I don't know if the speakers did that or what, but in the final video, it's like motion graphics almost. Yeah, that's right. So we both know how much effort it is to put together a talk. I wanted to set up a system where they could bring their story and we would do our part to help tell that story properly. The motion graphics is part of it. You could be an incredible entrepreneur or an incredible developer. You shouldn't have to be the best designer as well. That's a different skill set. We should minimize the number of things that you have to be excellent at in order to produce great content. So people could show up with, I don't think anybody showed up with terrible slides, but it didn't matter. We would take the information from their slides and we have a motion artist who 
reconstructed a lot of that content to make it kind of sizzle and be more native YouTube and make the content feel more like, oh, this is being produced specifically for me in my living room. So the motion graphics were a big part of it. And I got to say, multiple cameras. We had three in the room. Wow. We had another one that we were doing interviews with outside the room, but we had three cameras in the room. And honestly, now that I've done it, I would say the minimum is two. And the reason why is you know how many takes it takes to get a video right in the shed quarters. (laughs) You get up in front of a group and there's a lot of stuff, a lot of quirky things that can happen. You can get nervous. You can have uhs. You can have ums. You can have just things where you like describe it one way and then you describe it another way. And what the multiple cameras allowed us to do in the videos that we've been producing And nobody would really appreciate this watching the final product, but I see them before and after. I see the original take, make some notes, send it to the editor, and then we go back and forth on some drafts before we get to the finished product. And you need those multiple camera angles to be able to cut words out. So if somebody has an um, or they lose their spot, or they have to say something again, or heaven forbid, the makeup artist had to come in and like touch up somebody's makeup. That happened a couple of times. (laughs) You need multiple camera angles so that you can chop from one to another, get the piece that you don't want in there, get it out and still feel very natural. And man, I've seen a few of these videos now and it's just incredible to me watching a presentation and thinking, I wonder how good a job we can do on that editing it. And then seeing it come back from the editor and it's just like, wow, we did a real service to that presenter. We made their presentation even better. And that's the deal. That's what we're pitching to people. It's a lot to travel. It's a lot to prepare a presentation. It's a big commitment. And the people that we're trying to get to present, in some cases, they're very successful. They're very busy. Their time is very valuable. Everybody's time is valuable, but it's really hard for people who are operating businesses at scale to find time. And so it feels like that effort that we're putting into it with the production and then the post-production, it feels like that's what we need to do to make this worth people's while so that we can tell their story in the best possible light, put them in the best possible light as a presenter and help as many people as possible. Yeah, I think having that artifact or having these artifacts from this year is going to make your job next year super easy to get even more people to come talk. This year, you were kind of pitching them on a promise. We're going to put in a lot of effort and you're going to get a video out of the other end. It's like, eh, okay, I, yeah, I get it. I guess that's valuable. But now having seen the production quality that does come out of the other end, it doesn't bother me that 90 people were there at the conference because I'm going to have this durable artifact that can be shown to thousands of people forever. Heck yeah, I'm going to put in 40 hours of work to prepare my talk and then I'm going to fly out to LA. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think this year was a pretty important year for you because you basically are just operating on goodwill and your reputation. But now 
you're operating on, look, this is what we actually did last year. And this is what you could have too. That's pretty cool. I'm very impressed with your vision and, and the fact that you pulled it all off. That's pretty cool. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Yeah. And it didn't go perfectly. There were definitely things in the pipeline. And because it's a live production, if it didn't go well, like you have to make do with what you got. And so there were definitely hiccups that came up and the editing process was something that we needed to nail down. But I feel like we've got it now. But all of that was part of the process. I knew it was going to be an investment of time, my own time managing all of that content production and getting everything set up. But It felt like if we can do this right, we can set up a system. If I can get this process nailed down, not only can we do it again, we can do it even better. I'm really glad that I didn't let that perfectionist sort of instinct get in the way of just doing what we could, because that's what really validated that, hey, there's something here. And so I think there's probably a lesson in that too, which is get started, do the best version of it that you can, and then let it see the light of day, which is something we've talked about before and you've written about, get it out there, get feedback, and then do a better version of it next time and just develop the skill, improve it and get better and better. So hopefully that's what we'll do with the conference as well. Yeah, I think that is a very important takeaway. The first several short videos I did, I was changing stuff in between each one. And I knew putting out the first one, like I had a thought in my head, this is not as good as it could be, but I honestly, I really don't know what to do to make it better. And so I'm going to put it out there and listen to feedback and it's changed over time and they've gotten better and better, but I can't look at Wes Boss's final product and decide that's going to be my starting product. I would never get started. And so I look at his final product and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do, you know, as close to that as I can. And as time goes, I'll get better and I'll develop my own style. And maybe someday it'll be in the same ballpark as his. But if you hold yourself to that bar in the beginning, you'll never get it out there. And that's not worth it. You got to get it out there and learn from it. All right, man. Fun chat. Thanks for sharing all of those insider sort of tips with everybody. And I hope everything continues to go smoothly while you're producing the course. And I hope you have a safe and enjoyable trip to Europe. And I hope your talk goes over awesome. Thanks. Me too. I'm excited for it. I'm going to get to meet some coworkers in person and meet all of my European Laravel friends in person. So I am super excited. All right. Talk to you again soon, Aaron. Bye. Bye. Framework Friends is edited by Paul Barr at Peachtree Sound. Our intro music was created by Corey Griffin. You can find us at frameworkfriends.com. Andrew's on Twitter at Andrew Culver. And Aaron is on Twitter at Aaron D. Francis. 